I'm pretty frustrated with myself, Eva said. I know better. When I buy a pack of four cupcakes and a pint of ice cream and tell myself this will last all week, it just won't. I picked up the grocery order today and I went through the cupcakes and ice cream without even putting them away. If you've done this, you know the feeling you have afterward. You feel let down by yourself. You feel disappointed that you didn't consume the food in the way you had planned to one serving at a time. You may begin to second guess whether you have the self-control to make changes or reach long-term goals. And the sharpest thorn is that this probably isn't the first time you've done it. So your agony over the current situation is compounded by recalling the previous times you did exactly the same thing. I want you to know that there is soothing for this pain. I want you to know that you can change this pattern. You aren't doomed to keep repeating it. And by the end of today's episode, you'll know how to turn these low moments into painfully gained but cherished pieces of wisdom about yourself. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating Podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. Eva identified three lessons from this experience. She wrote, One, I know I do better making my own treats. I use less sugar and healthier recipes, and they just don't have the same impact on me. Two, it probably wasn't a great idea to order groceries late at night. And three, I think I should only order one treat at a time. Eva actually wrote these down before I even saw or responded to her message. Have I mentioned my clients are some seriously smart people? I agree. Her conclusions are reasonable and valuable lessons. Claiming these lessons is a crucial piece of learning from our mistakes. And if we don't learn from our mistakes, we're just going to keep on making the same ones. But lots of people draw lessons like these from an overeating or binge eating incident. I have this conversation in multiple forms every day I'm working with people. However, that's not enough. Reciting the lessons learned from one unpleasant experience often isn't enough to stop us from behaving in the same fashion all over again, often in a frighteningly small amount of time. It's like you can know the traffic rules in your state, but driving by them is a completely different matter. Let's talk about how we stop repeating the same lesson over and over and finally steer our behavior in a new direction. First, personalize. The conclusions that Eva identified are Eva-specific. Hers were stick to homemade lower sugar treats as much as possible, try to avoid ordering groceries late at night, and only order one treat at a time if she is purchasing something. But for many of my clients, making a homemade batch of baked goods is anything but a recipe for success. So you need to be honest with yourself about what helps you eat in the way you desire and what you want to avoid. It will be different from other people, and that's perfectly okay. You may have no problem ordering groceries at night, a situation Eva does best to avoid, but realize that ordering groceries when you are hungry leads to all sorts of problems. When you recognize the factors that contributed to your overeating incident or most recent binge, write them down. I mean that. Make a list on paper, or at least type it. What I don't want you to do is try and hold it in your brain and say, I'll remember. 
Here are some examples of lessons that clients of mine have documented from their overeating or binge episodes. If I don't speak up when I'm upset, I will struggle with wanting to binge eat once I get home. If I purchase XYZ, especially in large multiple serving containers, I'm going to be really tempted to binge on it. If I don't eat enough lunch, I'm ravenous after work, so I snack, but that kills my appetite for dinner, which leads me to feel like a screw-up and binging. Bottom line, I need to eat enough lunch. Now, these may sound like we're creating rules, so I want to clarify that it's important to not interpret your findings that way. You are simply noticing and accepting reality which is that certain factors increase the difficulty of eating the way you want, and some factors increase the ease of eating the way you want. It makes sense that most of us are going to want to make our lives easier and avoid the things that create traps for ourselves, but don't turn them into rules or you'll be tempted to break them simply out of rebellion. I think of mine as personal policies. My personal policies include not skipping meals under any circumstance, not attending anything I don't actually want to go to, and not eating treats when I am highly emotional. If I'm crying, I am not getting behind the wheel of a chocolate bar. These personal policies came from years and many unpleasant repetitions of linking my choices to my misery. There were many skipped meals, I've gone so many places out of obligation, and many brownies have given their lives in the name of my emotional pain. Sooner or later, I just accepted that these choices, my choices, reliably led me to Unhappyville. I stopped kidding myself so I could focus on changing my decisions. I also encourage you to note the helpful things that you recognize, like the tag that comes on a plant about the specifics that help that particular species thrive. Tomatoes, for example, need full sun, lots of water, and plenty of fertilizer. Your care and feeding instructions may read, Sheila needs to eat breakfast before working out. Keep well hydrated, but not over-caffeinated during the day, and ensure 15 minutes of rest after work before starting chores. Again, writing these down somewhere is key, because your memory will fade. So get a piece of paper or use one of those pretty blank notebooks you bought without a specific purpose in mind. Now you have a reason to use it. Start writing down the lessons you learn and drafting some personal policies which support your eating and emotional wellness. That brings me to the next key of success. You need an anti-forgetting strategy. The reason most people repeat mistakes isn't that they never learned their lesson. Oh, they learned it. They just forgot the lessons once some time passed. You know how this works. When you've just recently overeaten or binged, and you do the work to identify what you would have done differently, it's very sharply focused in your mind. It might be, buying one scone from the bakery works well, buying six from the grocery store created a situation where it was tough to resist binging on them. Two weeks later, that lesson isn't very sharp in your memory at all. It's sort of like, yeah, be careful with scones. And a month later, what was that lesson again? Oh, scones! I love scones! By writing down the lessons you learn, you have one half of an anti-forgetting strategy in place. The second piece? Well, you have to read back over your notes, don't you? Regularly reviewing your lessons learned will help you remember what you want to avoid and what you want to focus on repeating. 
I suggest a weekly or monthly glance over the lessons you've written down. For even more powerful learning, predict key moments in the future when you'll need a reminder so you can strategically place them. Eva, for example, identified ordering groceries late at night as part of the sequence leading up to the too many cupcakes and ice cream experience. That leads me to wonder, now why would she be ordering her groceries at night? Probably because Saturday got really busy, it ended up being nighttime when she got around to it. But she needed to have the food by Sunday so she could prepare food for the week, so there wasn't any other option. In this case, having a reminder early on Saturday would clearly be more helpful than a reminder Saturday night, when she had already reached the last minute to order her groceries. Especially if she is making plans in the future for a busy weekend, that's when she's going to want to remember what she learned. I'd encourage her to put a reminder on her calendar for every Saturday, knowing that she'll probably check her calendar before making Saturday plans. Think of the situations that would be the most valuable moments for you to have a reminder of the lessons you've learned. If your painfully earned wisdom from this weekend was to not bring home leftovers from grandma's house, Think of how you can drop yourself a reminder on the day you next have a visit to grandma's planned. Maybe jot a note in your calendar if you know the next time you're going to visit. Maybe you need a helpful reminder on the days you return from vacation, or the day before your period, or Sunday night just when those Sunday scaries hit. Read your reminders at the most valuable times for maximum leverage. Do not try to remember them, write it down, and schedule reading them at optimal times. When you want to move the boundaries, or experiment with changing your personal policies, do it in inches, not in miles. For example, let's say Eva really wanted to be able to buy treats from the grocery store bakery, but not overeat them. What we would do is brainstorm ways we can get closer to this in very small steps. If the cupcakes she likes only come in a four-pack, she could buy them on the way to the office, take out one for herself, and put the other three in the break room, where the hyenas she works with will devour them in minutes. Or she might buy a four-pack knowing that she's having some friends come over, so she can have one and know that the rest will get eaten too over the night. Both of these are ways that she can ensure there are no leftovers after she eats the serving she wants, which makes it pretty hard to overeat. Buying single baked goods, such as a muffin from a coffee shop, is also a great way to not have leftovers. Usually, the first stage of including a food is to make sure that you're not purchasing it in quantities that leave you leftovers. Down the road, we might practice taking two cupcakes home so that you plan to have one for today and one for tomorrow, but it won't be four or six or 12 baked goods, just two. Also, we would likely practice eating the cupcake earlier in the day. Many people find that things are trickier when they encounter tempting foods late in the day, once they're tired. So I usually work very closely with my clients, and they practice eating the tempting food with lunch or even while we're on a Zoom call together. So these experiments are very supported and pretty much guaranteed to go well. This gradual intentional shifting of boundaries allows people to introduce foods at home that previously have been troublesome. We want to accumulate positive experiences, feeling in control. Notice the contrast between this method and what typically happens when people aren't being as intentional. 
Usually, if someone finds a particular food triggering, yet appetizing, they avoid it for a period of time and then decide, you know, this time will be different. They buy a package of it, bring it all home, and decide to taste it in the evening when they're alone, creating the most difficult situation I could engineer. Don't do that to yourself. It's okay to have vulnerabilities. We all do. So if particular foods need delicate treatment right now, or you want to set up some personal policies, that's the loving thing to do for yourself. Remember, you are in control. You get to decide how your eating occasions go, and you are growing stronger and more experienced by the day, including the days where you slip up. So remember to jot down what you learn and use an anti-forgetting strategy. If you need a hand, reach out because there are professionals who specialize in this and you don't have to go it alone. Take care.